telling stories about the past in the past was something strongly related to people's everyday life. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to Nodes of Design. To help support our mission spread knowledge, we have a very special guest on today's episode. Let's welcome Jonathan Even Juhar, who is a trained historian with broad views on history and heritage education. Jonathan was also a former executive director of Eurocelio, European Association of History Educators, where he has been able to work with thousands of history educators across the continents and beyond to initiate, lead and deliver high-quality collaboration projects funded by European Union. Jonathan is also a keynote speaker at various occasions like TEDx and many more. In this episode, Jonathan had shared wonderful insights on understanding the role of emotion and empathy in understanding the past and also how designers in present generation can take inspiration from past and build great present and future. We also spoke on what are the various ways in which we can narrate a good story that connect all the dots of past, present and future. In the end, we spoke on various ways in which designers can get inspired from the nature around them by understanding the history of elements that are present around their surroundings. Hope you guys enjoy this episode and on every Friday we release new episodes with different creative leaders from around the world to help you better understand different concepts related to design. So don't forget to tune in into Notes of Design every Friday. With that being said, happy designing everyone. Hi, Jonathan. Welcome to Nodes of Design. It's a pleasure hosting you today on our show. Hi, I'm happy to be here. So, Jonathan, how's your day going? It's been a mess. My house is uh, being a... There's construction here, uh, uh, but, you know, it's Friday, so it's almost weekend and uh, life is fine. So, Jonathan, if you could give a brief about yourself to our audience out there. So, I'm a historian uh, by uh, training and I have worked for over a decade on the European level, bringing mainly history teachers together across borders. And right now, for the last two years, I work independently on a range of projects dealing with history and society. Thank you so much, Jonathan. If you could give a brief about uh, like how did you start your journey into and what made you inspired to pursue this journey? Good question. I think history is something that uh, you get interested into uh, if you have a good history teacher. Usually that's what happens. A history teacher, or it can be a parent, of course, that tells you, you know, captivating stories about the past, about uh, any any topic. I mean, uh, big or small, uh, the ancient Greeks or the Chinese or wars or whatever. So as a boy, you try to, you, you just listen and you understand that you really like stories. So I think story, that's the key element. And then I chose to study history in university and you find out that actually history is much more than, you know, interesting stories. A, a mechanism, it is an oil to, let's say, a political culture. It is used positively and negatively. And that drew me more and more into that force field where history is on the one hand, an academic discipline, something that we want to do properly and something that is, uh, you know, uh, everyday conversation. So that, that around that topic of conversation and history is where I, uh, I find myself on a daily, uh, on a daily business. And uh, after university, I got involved in this organization called Euroclio and Euroclio is the European Association of history educators. And then you find out that teaching history in class globally in any country, that's an issue that is hotly debated. And, you know, all over the world, millions of teachers on a daily basis are making choices about uh, what stories they 
tell and how do they tell them? Yeah, that, that, that's how I got sucked into this conversation about the past. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for taking us to your journey. So do you, if you want to suggest any tips to the beginners out there, like the creatives, what tips would it be? So if creative people, I think history is definitely uh, booming, let's say. So if I'm being a bit cynical, I might say that that's also because the future is terrifying. More and more, we go to the past for to escape the future or to, in a worse situation, to construct a future. So I think, especially the, for, from a design point of view, I'm not a designer and I'm not professional in a creative uh, uh, scene, but from conversations I've had with designers and creative people, I think what is interesting is that history is a bridge between the past and the present and the future. But to keep in mind that even if society and politics and culture, we tend to pretend history is a static area. You know, museums have objects. We know our concept. Countries have independence days. There are years and names to remember. And that whole body of knowledge is presented as a static body in education and in culture. And I think designers and creative people have a lot of potential to uh, first ask themselves questions about the future, then see what, uh, let's say, value is attributed to those questions in the present. How do people struggle with it? I'll give you an example in a moment, but then go back to the past and see what questions do we need to ask the past to be able to better, let's say, design the future. So an example, an easy one is, let's say, with climate change. Uh, Everybody has that interest in reducing carbon emissions and figuring out the future that is sustainable for humanity. In the present, we understand that there are people who say, I I don't want to do that because I don't believe it or because we have a right in the rich West to have carbon emissions or anything like that. And then I think we need to take it one step further and then we can go into the into history and see what historical concepts either people are using wrongly or they are unaware of. So for example, you throw your fish hook into the water of, of history and you find out that there is a history of sustainability that we have never really discussed. A history of societies that either manage their energy resources or not, you know, let alone even talking about the history of the 20th century as a history of of usage of fossil fuels. None of all of that would have been possible without fossil fuels. So if you want to have a 21st century without fossil fuels, it's almost like you have to undo the 20th or do it differently. So I think there's a lot. It's it's And because if you do that well with history, you're able to take along with you in your design and in your creativity you can take along with you people's understanding of where you want to go because it's, you know, because you can appreciate where different people are coming from. Maybe this was too, I hope this was clear enough to kind of say that I think that the designers can wrestle and feel free to go and dive into history. But keep in mind, people always have different perspectives. People have different truths, uh, different value, different, you know, education when it comes to history. So yeah, globally, I hope that we manage to in the coming decades that your listeners and creative people can figure out how to make sure we don't repeat the mistakes of the 20th century and the 21st, even though we are already doing some of them, but yeah. 
<laughs> indeed jonathan thank you so much for explaining us this in detail so when you say that what is a role of emotion in understanding the past because we designers work mostly on the emotions and empathy part so we mostly fueled by empathy so what do you think the role of emotion is in understanding the past yeah so uh, emotion is critical and for a long time it was not really taken into account so you know history as an academic discipline comes from the point of view of we want to know what happened in order to know what happened we need to look at evidence we need to understand evidence and compare and contrast it and if we put it all together we can make a truthful statement or fact uh, if you want like for example i want to know uh, what the weather was uh, where you live yesterday so I would ask you, how was the weather yesterday? You will say, oh, it was great. And then I need to fact check and I need to ask someone else. I need to look at the meteorological service and maybe friends of yours would think it was not great. I need, as a historian, I would need to take all of that into account and then I would have a fact. Okay. But then maybe you said great because you had a great day because you were emotionally very happy. And your friend said it was a lousy day because he or she had a very lousy day. Now, that's saying like the, the first step to take into account emotion and understanding the past is understanding that people in the past also had emotions when they gave us their evidence, when they said something or didn't say something. Uh, what, 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 what matters there? Much more important then is what does emotion matter in the present? And that's, of course, Maybe also why you you chose this topic, you know, uh, or this question. People are bringing down statues. People are burning books. People are angry when something is in the curriculum or out of the curriculum. Politicians understand this. Politicians know how, you know, put attention on them when it is about history. Instead of putting it on research, for example, or uh, education. But okay. So emotion is uh, there's a lot of uh, fuel in that engine when it comes to the past. And then, of course, you're going to think, why is that? Why are people angry when you tell them, I don't like that monument? It's not because they actually cared about that monument before you told them you were angry about it. <laughs> but it's something about you saying, I don't like that monument. It's, I don't value you as an owner of this history. And I am going to challenge you. So it's a power dynamic, actually. But if we want to turn it, so that that's you know that can lead into a lot of negative roads where people are fighting. And many of the wars that we have seen are rooted in people's concept of their own identities. You know, a country wants to invade another country because they think historically that is their territory, or uh, they want to defend the minorities there because the, those minorities historically relate to them. So history is very uh, a dangerous weapon. So if we want to turn that positively for emotion, I think we need to bring it back to a level of humanity to understand that, you know, there is, there is uh, if you really like that monument or that part of history, that you are free to do so. But someone else has a very different feeling because it represents something else to them. So, and honestly, this is just, you know, if you would ask me a, a year ago, I would have given maybe a similar answer, but I would have been more confident. Now, what we see happening in the world is, is really shaking up things. So we don't know. What I hope is that people get educated enough to understand how we actually work to know what happened in the past and at the same time be free to be able to value that on their own terms. But I don't know how we will get there. <laughs>
Thank you so much, Jonathan. So I had this doubt, like, so if you see a lot of creative inspirations were being done in the like monuments and great sculptures and all that you see. So for a modern designer, what is like a best way to get inspired from all that culture and heritage? Mm, that's another great question. I think from today's point of view, it's very important to signal that a monument or a, a, a memorial or something, what are the voices and emotions that it should serve today and to the future first? So uh, for who does it mean something? Why does it mean that to that person? I, I, I mean, I think that is the first layer to, to definitely try to understand. And there, there are these great concepts around like multi-perspectivity and multi-voicedness and how to allow different parts of the conversation to feature in a design. Uh, at the same time, I think what is often forgotten is that commemoration itself or monumentalization has also its own history. So it's also interesting to acknowledge that, for example, many of the world's capitals have squares and on the square there's often a monument. Why? Because the public space gives the citizens the idea of freedom while putting in the center a strong symbol of power, which is this is where we came from, or this is who we are, or this is the hero, or this is uh, the, the victims, or stuff like that. So I think what is interesting from design, from a disruptive point of view, is what can you do to, on the one hand, illustrate that? Why is a public square a tool of power? Or celebrate that? If it is a democratic uh, platform, how is it really representative of all the voices of all the citizens? So that is something I think about the mechanism of how a monument or a memorial gets to be made, you know, re reflect and disrupt within that process might lead to, to more exciting things. i give you one example that I know of someone who designed this, uh, an invisible monument in a forest in Southeast Europe. It was a forest where there had been a civil war or a, a conflict. I'll spare you the details, but instead of putting you know, a stone monument or some expression of, 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 of that being there, the idea was that you would go on your phone and you would subscribe or enter to the QR code or whatever, and you would receive on your phone feeds or information related to what happened there but the forest remains the forest and in a way what that tells you as a design is that it it respects let's say the silence and the invisibility of of the space itself because that's also you know when that conflict happened there that same forest was there so you know those kind of discussions would intrigue me to see how would designers wrestle with with uh, with that. Thank you so much, Jonathan. So, is there any way that the modern designers could document the past that's happening around us? Well, there is a, what we've seen now with Corona, for example, is that there are some initiatives to to get out stories. And I mean, I think what so so I like those. I like uh, the these initiatives where where designers are are finding quick ways to get people to be comfortable about sharing what is it is that they're experiencing or feeling or uh, so that is all valid documentation for let's say for future historians at the same time i think there's something else going on that goes beyond just capturing individual statements and that is this whole experience of the web like even we're talking now so you know how how do you actually gonna document the fact that this to stick with the example of the pandemic that this pandemic is something that happens to us as a species. And on the one hand, it's happening to us as a species because we've spun a very successful web. 
but we also experience it through a web. Uh, whether it's, you know, you see the numbers, how many deaths, how many cases in which country, you look at the graphs and so on. So I think that for designers, it will be interesting to figure out how do you tell the story of the of these webs, of these this, 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 this connectedness. So on one hand, individual voices matter, and but but that's that looks more like business as usual. It'd be interesting to look at the shapes and forms of of that influence those people's emotions in a way or you know i hope that example works i know the pandemic is global but i haven't followed the news exactly where you are but i think it is something yes, that yes. all listeners will recognize so jonathan uh, i had this confusion regarding like uh, so if you see the things happening around us uh, right now uh, are like very critical so we have to be very rapid understand the things and all and also to tell a tale about it so being an historian so if you could tell the effective ways of storytelling or telling a narration because history is mostly all about narrations and that came across from ancestors to ancestors yeah uh, and another another difficult question because i think normally so if we just imagine a way pandemic and uh, you know social movements happening now i would say we are definitely in a new age so the old ways don't work that well so let's say telling stories about the past in the past was something strongly related to people's everyday life so for example if i go way back you go into agrarian civilizations all of them all of us in the world that have coming from agrarian civilizations talk about the seasons all our holidays, all our, you know, because of the harvest and the spring and, the, and the, the procreation and then winter. In the winter, we want some light, you know. So storytelling in the past, you could say you, you can take this whole millennia of agricultural life and say that is how history then served its purpose. To, because there was a cycle to life that was predictable, very dangerous as well with plagues and diseases and, and hunger and so on. But it was all about the seasons and, and, and good fortune, let's say. Now, in the modern time uh, with industrialization, when humanity sort of urbanizes and unlocks this seemingly endless amount of energy from coal first and then fossil fuels and so on, you can see that the nation state takes over the story. So the story is we as a community speaking this language, we have this identity, we have that history. And it, it's not by chance that that is also the same moment that the nation states introduces mass education, mass literacy. That's the moment that also academic history is born to support that effort, to, to, you know, to make everybody understand that we are Dutch and the Dutch people come from this and this is our wars and this is our story. So the story has then, let's say, transitioned from this uh, agricultural, environmentally related cyclical thing into something much more about identity making. For whatever, uh, I don't want to judge that, but that's I, th I can see that that's happening. But then I think, and there's a lot of people saying that when you look at the Anthropocene era or you know in the information age or whatever you call it, right now, something else is happening. So if you say to me, if you ask me, okay, things are going quickly. So what stories, how should we tell stories? I think we have to be aware of, of first to ask ourselves, you know, what, how do we even get information today? How do we know that what we tell is true? Or how do we know that what we tell is valuable? Because now it's not anymore the nation states and it's not anymore agriculture. It, it's, I don't know, information, data, you know, things are going quite global interdependence there's so much things that are uh, at the same time accelerating while we know that we should accelerate so if anything i think stories today have to be 
very local and rooted and grounded in the in the reality that is around you because that is the best way to explain what what we want the global story to be thank you so much jonathan so any tips or suggestions on deriving inspirations from nature around us <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm not a biologist. I don't know enough about the environment or, or nature. From from the point of view of a historian and the idea of taking inspiration, I mean, I think I think it, it could be inspiring to look, for example, at where we live from the point of view of why did we settle there in the first place? So usually there would be a river <laughs> or there would be a nice beach or there would be a dense forest with with life or there would be a type of cereal in the ground that we could cultivate so it would be good to to go into a bit deeper understanding of why we live where we live in this time of global movement which is great i mean i think a lot of great things came out of humanity's possibility to travel and move around the cities it's like you know meg huge cities with 20 30 40 million people maybe lost their understanding of why they are there in the first place uh, or villages get that that have been eaten by cities, or you know. So I think it's good to also take these two together, history and geography, to be able to better, you know, kind of. We are just a, a small, tiny creature that lives on the crust of a big planet. So why do we choose these little spots, and what what's so nice about these spots? <laughs> That's something that maybe will help. Thank you so much, Jonathan. So on a concluding note, I would love you to recommend us three favorite books of yours and also three people who inspire you the most in this ecosystem. Okay, so I, I know which first two books, but the third I have to improvise. So the first book is uh, written by uh, son and father, John and William McNeil, and it's called The Human Web. And it's a book that inspired me a lot to understand history as a global process with, a, with still difference between different societies, different countries, but still as a global process. It's called The Human Web. And it's, it, it's really easy to read and it gives you a, a good full story of humanity. The second one is called Maps of Time. It's by David Christian and it's about big history. And that does it even more because then we, it takes you back to the Big Bang. And it tries to give a, a good, complete theoretic model of natural and cultural evolution, but also gives you an idea where we are heading towards from a scientific point of view. So it's a bit more scientific, but it's, it's also very readable. Maps of Time, David Christian. And the last one um, I will go for, um, Responsible History by uh, it's a it's a Flemish author, uh, Anton de Bats. Spell it to you later how to spell that name. Uh, and that is actually a good uh, handbook, more like a code of conduct, how to do history responsibly, because we know that it is constantly being done irresponsibly and fueling hatred among uh, among people and conflict. So that's responsible uh, history by Anton de Bats. Oh, three people. Okay, I will go for Joke uh, uh, van der Leeuw. That is uh, a woman who established uh, the European Association of History Teachers in the early 1990s, based on the conviction that, that history is not something that is locked inside borders, but is something that should be uh, taught together. And I worked for her for uh, 12 years, so she inspired me on a very direct personal level. <laughs> I mean, I would say my mother, but that's very cliche. But uh, this is a difficult question because you don't want to just say, you know, Barack Obama inspires me because of the way he handles very complicated emotional moments in U.S. history. I mean, it's yes, true, yes. but I don't know him personally. And uh, so let's do that. Let's do Yoko van der Leeuw, Barack Obama for 
being able to deal with toxic, difficult emotion in a responsible way. We need more of that. Uh, and as a third person, I will say, let's say Darwin, because he traveled the world and discovered that, that there is a logic to nature. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jonathan, for contributing your wonderful time and explaining us so much facts about history and creative minds. Thank you so much. We are looking forward to host you again. Thank you. It was a pleasure. It was a great surprise and uh, uh, compliments for doing it so professionally. <laughs> Oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man.